sports are really important vehicles for relationships. We have purpose. We have a why. We bring people together. We connect. I feel like God is our greatest supporter and our greatest coach. Welcome to Rabbi on the Sidelines. This is Rabbi Erez Sherman from Sinai Temple in Los Angeles. This week, I have been waiting for this guest for a very, very long time. This guest is Coach Elliot Steinmetz from Yeshiva University Basketball. Coach Steinmetz in the Yeshiva University Basketball Program really drew attention to the idea of the intersection of sports and faith at the highest level with a 50-game win streak over a couple of years. We are just so excited that Coach Elliot Steinmetz is joining us this week. Coach, thanks for hey, coming. Rabbi. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So um, the Jewish world and really the basketball world has been following your journey of a 50 game win streak. This is not just Division three, Division two, Division one. This is all of college basketball. Uh, Let's hop in right there and then we're going to go backwards. Um, What did it feel like to be the head coach of forget the Jewish institution, but the the college NCAA program that had the longest win streak in the entire country? Um, yeah, it was cool. I mean, it's 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 funny when when it's going on, you don't really uh, pay much attention to it. You know, we were we weren't kind of sitting there counting. Uh, you know, one, two, three, thirty, forty, fifty. Um, you know, I know it's cliche, but we really were focused on one game at a time and and just trying to kind of collect W's um, along the way. And and I think once it once it ended um, with the Illinois Wesleyan game, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was kind of th- that's when it became more real when we were able to kind of look back and be like, wow, fifty is a pretty big number and uh, uh, you know, something our guys can kind of hold on to and our program can hold on to. But, uh, you know, end of the day, it's, it's not a championship, but it's uh, it's certainly uh, certainly something that, that you know, got us exposure in the mainstream world and, and obviously, you know, put a lot of people uh, on board the bandwagon, which was cool. So this is a podcast less about the sports and more about the faith. Often I have to drag out faith stories from well-known sports personalities. But in this case, faith is just what you do. It's what your players do. It's what your institution does. And we're going to talk about how that intersects at a high level. Now, in 1998, on ESPN, there was a short brief about Yeshiva University and basketball. At that time, you were not the head coach. It didn't really talk about the wins and more talked about the faith and how these players are both studying Gemara at a high level and also trying to play basketball at a high level. I want to show you a very short clip of uh, somebody in that video, Dr. Jeff Gorak. Yeshiva University, past uh, uh, a good friend of mine and past uh, guest on this show. And this is what he said, and I want you to look at the pictures. I'm going to tell you a story after, and we're going to talk about that. ESPN 1998, Yeshiva University. They're ambitious in the sense that they went to a school where they went to school for six, eight, nine hours a day and then found time to play basketball. And he once said, often said, that if these kids can find time after their full day of general subjects and religious subjects to play basketball, I'm going to commit myself to make them as good basketball players as they could possibly be. I've had now uh, 12 doctors, 12 doctors, 17 lawyers, 8 dentists, about 12 accountants. So in that video that Dr. Jeffrey Gorak speaks about Yeshiva University, they show some pictures of people studying Gemara on the bench. I'm going to show you a picture right now that I have. And that picture was actually sent to me by one of those players. And his name is Rabbi Charles Sherman. And that picture actually is my father when he played at Yeshiva University in the 70s, who was teammates with Coach Halpert. And that picture, I think, really epitomizes what you do 
in terms of high-level sports and high-level Jewish values. So what does that look like on a day-to-day basis when you're having practice at five in the morning and they have to be in sheer and at 8 a.m.? Yeah, so I mean, that's, you know, I, I, I always tell when I bring recruits uh, onto campus for visits, you know, one of the first things I always do, wh- wh- whether they have an Orthodox background or not, I, I bring them to the base medrash. And, I, you know, I want them to see the study hall. I want them to see all the, uh, you know, all the uh, rabbinic students who are in there, you know, learning Gemara and, 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 and studying and kind of devoting their day around religion. Um, and, you know, it's something I talk about our players and recruits all the time. It's what makes us different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to have something that kind of brings you together. And I think a little bit of what brings us together as, as a team is, is also what makes us unique. And it's, it's, it's this kind of, um, you know, dual worlds that we're living in where, where our guys are, you know, obviously they're students and athletes. So, you know, that, that, I guess it's more than dual. It's a, it's, a, it's a third world where we're living in where they have these religious obligations and, and, um, and you know, different belief system and, and, you know, a different way of being brought up. And it's something that I think brings us together both on and off the court. Um, and, you know, I think it, it sparks attention because it, it's something that makes us different. And does it ever conflict while either within the Beit Midrash or on the court? And how do you resolve those differences? Um, it does conflict. Uh, it, it, it conflicts more so in a way that we'll have guys who will, you know, want to learn um, and not want to be at practice or committed to a team. <laughs> um, so, you know, we'll have guys that we're recruiting who are, let's say, you know, post uh, post high school and they go to Israel for a year and they're mm-hmm. going to spend the year in Israel. And that's, you know, a year longer that we're waiting for them. And then you get a phone call in the middle of the year. Hey, coach, I'm, I think I'm going to stay for a second year here. I'm having a great, you know, a great experience. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had guys, uh, I had a, a first team all conference player probably about five years ago or six years ago, who was a sophomore who decided to leave and go study full time. He wanted to go, he wanted to go learn full time and, and, you know, become a rabbi and, and all that. And I have a very, very simple personal rule. I, I don't recruit against the base measures. I, I never do it. I <laughs> love so, that. Can you repeat I, that? I don't recruit against the base measures. That is amazing. Yeah, I, I I the coach K says the same thing, I think. Yes, it's 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 been in uh, it's been in Duke's uh, you know protocols for the last bunch of years also. They they also don't recruit against the base measures. But um, <laughs> I you know, if, if a guy says they want to go to Israel for a year and they ask me what my thoughts are, I, I tell them they should do it. You know, and if a guy wants to stay on a bet because it's good for his religious growth, I always tell them to do it. Um, you know, same thing when I had this kid, uh, this kid approach me after a sophomore year and he was, like I said, a first team conference player. And he tells me he wants to leave and, and study in yeshiva full time. He, he was waiting for me to kind of argue with him. And I said, what do you, what do you want me to tell you not to go, not to go learn all the whole day? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Just have me in mind when you do it. Cause I'm not. So, you know, it was, uh, it's just not something I'm willing to do. And, um, so, you know, it doesn't, it conflicts in that, you know, it, it obviously costs us certain players at certain mm-hmm. times, but I, I don't look at it as a major uh, major conflict because it's just not a boundary I'm willing to cross. It sounds like a different type of transfer portal than we're talking about in D1. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of those, it's interesting that you say that, that you don't conflict. And in fact, it sounds like you encourage those people to take on religious obligation. One of the coaches that you have is a good friend of mine, Mike Sweetney, a Georgetown Hoya, former NBA player, whose story in itself is truly miraculous how the Jewish community has embraced him. And I'm not sure if you know this story as well, but um, I brought with Sinai Temple in LA, we brought Mike Sweetney to APAC a couple of years ago. And it was during your NCAA run, it was right before COVID hit. And when he showed up at APAC, I said, but Mike, you're in the NCAA tournament. And he said, Coach Steinmetz told me there'll always be another basketball game, but there might not be another APAC policy conference. How did you make that decision when you lost one of your coaches to support the U.S.-Israel relationship? Um, I mean, I, I, again, another thing we talk to our guys about all the time and I, and I try to promote it. life is bigger than basketball in so many ways. And I don't even care what level it is. I mean, you know, 
Division One, Two, Three, pro basketball. There's so many bigger things in life that are so much more important. If we have the opportunity to use the platform, um, mm -hmm. you know, to you know promote something that's positive, then then we have to do it. And you know, for for a guy like Mike who has really kind of just joined our community in such a big way and has fit in so well and is such a such a great human being um, to be interested in you know the 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 um, the things behind and the policies behind APAC and what the importance is for for you know Jews and Israel it's something that I think is so much more important than him being at a basketball game hmm. um, you know so if he misses a game and he makes an impact there what's lasting longer in life Actually, APEC was basically one of the last parties for the uh, for the world in uh, March fifth, two thousand and twenty. But I for, took the him first to, big super spreader, <laughs> absolutely. And I took him to the rabbi and cantor reception. And okay. when Mike Sweeney walked in that room, there wasn't just a look of "Oh my gosh, there's a former NBA player here." There was almost a disbelief that this young man is here to support the Jewish people in Israel. And I remember a lot of YU alumni were there, and they said, "Like Mike, what are you doing here?" He's like. I'm here to support the U.S.-Israel relationship. And it was an amazing, amazing moment. Um, and Mike was introduced to the Jewish community by another uh, common friend, and that's Tamir Goodman. Can yep. we take us to the Tamir Goodman effect, meaning in 2000 when he goes to Maryland and then Towson? And perhaps are there other Tamir Goodmans that today will end up in YU based on the success that you're having now? So, yeah, I think, I mean, I think Tamir was really, and, and I'm happy to call him a good friend, Tamir. He's he's was the first one, I think, to really kind of, changed the trajectory of, of the mm -hmm. Jewish athlete. Um, you know, he was someone who was, he was not willing to compromise on his beliefs and he was willing to, uh, you know, still try to, at the same time, pursue the highest level that he could possibly play. And he succeeded at it. You know, he, mm -hmm. had, he, had, some, he had some really good moments, obviously, in Division One, and then obviously as a professional as well. So, you know, I think he was that first guy to kind of say, you know what, I'm going to do this. I don't care how hard it is. I'm going to figure it right. out. I'm going to make it work. And, and I think that opened the doors for a lot of people behind them, you know, in, in both in that sport and in other sports. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of continued. And I think, I think, you know, as we've built our program um, and as we've started to win games, it's allowed guys who might be kind of in that category of a Tamir who can look at a division one uh, possibility to turn around and say, Hey, there's a legitimate option here and I can play for mm -hmm. Yeshiva and I can be proud of the name on the front of my Jersey and, and have kind of a, just a, a different feeling about what I'm accomplishing when I play. And, you know, I think that's what we had, obviously, in, in Ryan Terrell, who, you know, over the last, uh, you know, four years put up numbers that nobody ever has. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's not even taken into account that he played seven games one year as opposed to a full 30-game schedule. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's happening where, where, you know, guys are turning down Division One offers and deciding to come play Yeshiva and try to do something special. So let's talk about Ryan Terrell. He's a local boy here um, in from Los Angeles. And in the article that Gary Belsky writes in ESPN, right? Yeshiva University, not just a 1998 article about now-based Midrash. It's a 2022 article about a possible NBA draft pick on your team. And when his father says, like, Ryan, you're really good. Why, why you? And his response to his parents were, why did you send me to Valley Torah and Emic if I'm not going to YU? Take us through that, maybe recruiting process of Ryan and uh, what that means both to the program, but now what it'll also mean to the larger basketball world. Yeah, Ryan's a, uh, a different kind of person, and he's, he's really just a special, special kid. His, uh, his whole mentality, his whole mindset is, is just so different than, than things that you usually see out of kids. He's super mature. Um, you know, most of the time, guys, you know, guys are looking at the, the ego play of Division One and, and the possibilities that come from it. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I actually will never 
Um, you know, I'll, I'll never doubt a kid or, or, or put down a kid who's looking at a D1 dream if that's what they want to accomplish. Uh, but through that recruiting process, and I had a prior relationship with their family because his older brother, Jack, had played for us as well. But uh, I just met him process, on Pesach at a restaurant, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's a, he's a trip. But, um, yes. uh, you know, Ryan throughout that recruiting process was, you know, always extremely respectful. We talked a ton, always expressed interest in possibility. And it was just so funny because he was looking at all these Division One schools that were offering him scholarships. And at the same time, he was talking to me the same way he was talking to those coaches and giving me the same time and the same respect. And I remember he had gotten the specific offer that he had, was waiting on, and he called me up to tell me, and I thought he was basically telling me he was going to go there. Um, and he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, it's nice to know that I could do it. He goes, but I really want to come do something special, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'd like to be at YU, and, um, which is obviously a great moment for us and you know, you know, changes the course of the program. Uh, certainly, and and has obviously helped recruiting now that he's uh, getting the exposure and the uh, the professional looks that he's getting. And so, what does that look like? When I saw a clip of uh, Gabe Leifer, another former player of yours, who really dedicated his uh, time to come back to try to win the NCAA championship, where he said, I believe it was him that said, you know, he walked into a hotel once before a Division One team came in, and then you guys walked in and they said, Oh, what high school do you play for? <laughs> um, it's no longer that. You now have NBA scouts coming to a practice. Yeah. How did that affect the shift where you often say we play for the letters on the front, not the numbers on the back? Did that change? And how did you keep the humility on the, uh, on the, on the of the program um, as that was happening? Um, I think it's our guys. It's our players. I think they come from great families and they come from great backgrounds. And a lot of them, you know, obviously come from different high schools, but a lot of the same values. Um, and, you know, I think they just they have they have something unique. They're, they all want to be where they are. Right. Yeshivas, for most of them, if not all of them, it's really their first choice. It's where they want to be. And they have a built in brotherhood based on the background that they come from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's special. And I think it's something that allows them to realize that they represent something that's so much larger than just a basketball team and a university. Um, and, and, and I think we've seen that over the last few years with the amount of people who have kind of jumped on board and, and reached out and have followed us. And, and, and our guys feel that. And, and, you know, people ask about the burden of it. And, and I don't think they look at it as a burden. I think they look at it as a really an honor and a great responsibility. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I couldn't be more proud of the guys we've had in the last bunch of years that, you know, kind of carry that. So here's a quick clip of Ryan Terrell and what he thought about uh, his process and the team of YU. And all the doubters and people saying that Jews can't play basketball, uh, we want to prove them wrong and, you know, really set an example for all the kids that doesn't matter where you're coming from, doesn't matter who you are or what, what you believe in, that you, you can succeed in life. Ryan Terrell aims high. He wants to play for the NBA as the first Orthodox Jew. As a college junior, he's a star player for the Maccabees, recruited from Southern California to New York, lured away from Division I schools. But his faith and this basketball program made Yeshiva University his pick. I had a few other options coming out of high school to be able to play, uh, stay religious and, and play basketball at a high level and uh, try to win a national championship. So uh, take us through actually a, a Shabbos, right? You're on a road trip. And how do you have those accommodations? You know, we often talk about BYU not playing on Sundays. Um, but what does YU look like when they're on the road? Uh, yeah, so I mean, the best example, I think, is the NCAA tournament. The NCAA tournament is generally Friday night and Saturday afternoon. Those are the first mm-hmm. game, the, the first round games are generally Friday, after, Friday night and Saturday afternoon. When Yeshiva's in the tournament, it's Friday afternoon and Saturday night. 
Right. Um, and the way it works is usually you are exchanging film and, and giving access to film to the coaches of the teams that you're going to play. And you're setting up a schedule while you're there for that weekend of when you're going to have shoot arounds prior to games. Um, and just all the logistics that kind of go into, you know, playing a game on Friday and then assuming you win playing a game on Saturday afternoon. And, you know, I usually sit on that Zoom call or that conference call or whatever it is. And uh, they go through, uh, you know, the times for Friday and you know, we'll take whatever time we're able to get, you know, that, that works for us for a shoot around and for a film session. And then they start asking about the film exchange and film times and, and shoot arounds for Saturday for the Saturday night games. And I'm like, you guys take whatever you want. We're we're not gonna we're not gonna be using it, um, you know. And we're you know we're obviously we, we have to prepare three scouts uh, prior to the weekend because we need to account for whichever team's gonna win that first game that we might play. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And you know we we don't have an opportunity to really go over scout or to really you know give our guys a lot or or any film or any shoot around obviously for that second game. And instead we're you know we finish our game on Friday and and you know, hopefully. Uh, Hopefully it's a victory like it was a couple of years ago and we go back to the hotel and we're able to spend Shabbos together and have Friday night dinner and, you know, uh, Shabbos davening and, and a nice lunch Shabbos and then kind of chill in the afternoon. Um, and then we jumped on the bus. We had about, you know, 10, 15 minute ride to the uh, to the uh, to the uh, court from uh, to the gym from the hotel. And we were able to kind of go over scout quickly with the guys uh, on the bus. And then we play, you know, and, you know, on the flip side of it this past year, we obviously lost that first game. Um, so Shabbos was a little bit of a different feel, but that's, that's the cool thing about Shabbos. It's just, and, and by the way, Ryan's the guy who's, who's the best about it. I think I was standing in the back of, uh, of Shul on, uh, on Friday night, uh, after we lost, uh, Johns Hopkins and I had my head down and I'm sitting there upset and Ryan walks over to me from the front of the room, puts his arm around me and he's like, coach Shabbos, you're not allowed to be upset. Wow. Uh, wow. So the, the maturity on, on our guys is just is special. And, and the way they kind of pick everybody around them up is, is awesome. And I think that's a product of kind of growing up with Shabbos and, and other you know, religious ideals. So we've spoken a lot about the positives that come out of this YU experience of the 21st century. You're not playing other Jewish schools. You're not in a yeshiva league like a lot of the high schools are. Right. Has there been any have there been any moments when you go into an environment that their comments about the kipot on the head, their comments about tzitzit, their comments about the Jewish community, their comments about anti-Israel, anti-Zionism. And if so, how do you face that both as a coach and just to really calm the, the tensions to make sure that you're there for basketball? Yeah, we. so thankfully it's not something that's happened often. Um, you know, until I would say even last year or so, I don't think we've ever had it from a player or a coach, um, mm -hmm. thankfully. You know, I think uh, certainly in our conference, uh, the teams and uh, schools do a great job with that stuff, and there's a lot of respect between the teams and, and different backgrounds and all that. Um, so it's not something we've experienced so much on the court. Um, there are certain places where we go play where it's uh, where it's an issue with fans. Um, mm. You know, it's it's changed over the years how I've approached it. I think you know my first few years coaching um, at the college level, I, you know, I, I liked the uh, let's be the bigger man speech and just leave it alone and just focus on the game, and then. As things started to change, um, as the environment and anti-Semitism changed, you know, obviously in New York, but certainly across the country now, over the last few years, my um, my view on it and my approach to it and my and my talk with our guys on it has changed uh, dramatically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're at a point now where if something like that happens in a game, I'll embarrass the team, um, you know, and their fans. Like, we'll we'll stop a game if we need to, and it has not wow. happened yet, but. Uh, we had one incident this year where we we addressed it during the game, and we you know we, we had it addressed during the game by by an athletic director. 
But in general, if it's something that happens at this point, uh, you know, we, we would stop the game and, and potentially mm-hmm. walk off a court to make a statement because, like I said, at this point, the, we're, we're at a point where there's, you know, things that are just bigger than the game and bigger than basketball and, and lessons that need to be learned. And so you talked about the brotherhood that the players have. Do you preach or do they go out to, for instance, other schools and explain what they mean to those children, to the Jewish community? And actually, I would say even as importantly, the non-Jewish community who is watching this success story. Yeah, I think a lot of them have, have had the opportunity, obviously, through the media, but also, you know, mm-hmm. invited to speak certain places. Some of our guys get asked to do bar mitzvahs these days. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I speak in a, you know, a number of different places, obviously, like Passover programs and, and some synagogues. Right. But, um, you know, there, I think there is the opportunity there for our guys to kind of spread the message and, and kind of be a light. Um, the biggest opportunities, honestly, were right after COVID started and, and the tournament got canceled uh, a couple of years ago. And everybody was looking for content and something for, yes. for, you know, for high school students or elementary school students to kind of look at. And for some reason, you know, and, and I guess good reasons, we became that. And, you know, we had mm-hmm. our guys doing different Zooms with, uh, with different schools. And it was just I think it was a really good lesson, not just for our guys, but for everyone they spoke to on kind of life and perspective. So besides your guys going out, a lot of amazing people have come to you. Here's a clip of uh, New England Patriots owner, Bob Kraft, addressing uh, your team at the game with Rabbi Ari Berman standing by. And this is what uh, Bob Kraft had to say. Bless our people in many ways, but pure athleticism is not one of those. <laughs> has brought me enormous Jewish pride, and it is so exciting to finally be here to see and watch a match with you. So what does it mean when a person like Bob Kraft, when I believe Amari Stoudemire also came to one of the games, what does it mean when those people show up giving you respect and also, you know, with social media putting it out there saying, this is a team that we believe in? Uh, it's nice. I mean, it's, 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 you know, obviously uh, a positive distraction, I would call it. It's, um, (laughs) it's, it's a very cool thing to see, you know, obviously from the professional sports world, we've had uh, Mark Lashley has been to game and, uh, and obviously, you know, Mr. Kraft was at a game and we've had, you know, like you said, Amari Stoudemire and his canter. There've been, there's been a little bit of a celebrity row situation going on. Um, You say Ennis canter? Yeah. Can you actually talk about that for a moment? Because yeah, I sure. think his story of, you know, from yeah. Turkey and he yep. uses his platform to really preach goodness and social justice. Tell us the Ennis Cantor, why he shows up at Yeshiva University. So I honestly have no idea. Um, <laughs> him, him, him and Amari both showed up for our, uh, for our championship game in the conference this year. Um, it was actually really nice. There was, a, there was a nice presentation beforehand that Rabbi Berman did with the two of them. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was just the, the whole thing was was just actually it was, it was really nice and it was, it was done very well. But, uh, you know, to have somebody like him show up with everything that he stands for. And I think he has now took the name Freedom. Uh, I think it's Ennis Freedom Cantor, um, mm-hmm. you know, and everything he stands for to kind of show up at our gym and uh, and be there for a game, I thought was uh, was a really cool thing. Um, but generally with this whole celebrity row thing, I, it's just it's good exposure. You know, hopefully some of these guys open their wallets and, and, and write a check for our athletic program at some point. That would be the, the best result of it. But, um, you know, it's 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 definitely it's definitely great, obviously, for, you know, for building the program and, and for kind of getting that respect and, and, and exposure. 
What about the support of Rabbi Ari Berman? The book that I have right behind me is Dr. Dr. Jeffrey Gurak's books, um, Americans uh, or American Encounter with, uh, sorry, Judaism's Encounter with American Sports. And if you read that book, it talks about, you know, back in the day, there was sort of this separation, like, okay, you're athletes, you're Jews, but we're a Torah institution and we're not necessarily going to talk about that. And now you have Rabbi Berman who's giving, I believe, after Hanukkah, what it means, even after a loss, what it means of true netzach and true victory. Um, that integration of the leadership supporting um, sports and athletics, how has that changed over time and influenced the, the Yeshiva University campus? It's huge. Um, you know, and, and Ryan Berman has been awesome. And, you know, just he's, he's at games pretty consistently, you know, sits in the front row, cheers the team on, waits after the games to talk to the guys and to see us afterwards. Um, super supportive and, and just kind of everything around the program has changed because of that. You know, when, when, mm -hmm. when the leadership up top takes an interest and, and shows their support and, and honestly grasps the importance of, of what it means to the university and the student body, um, everything just changes around it. And, and you know, it's, it's allowed us to be able to kind of support our guys better. It's allowed us to be able to recruit better. Um, and it's going to, you know, God willing, allow us to have better resources for our program as well in the near future. So when you were interviewed by YU, you almost didn't get the job. And Gary Belsky tells the story. He says, I quote, I didn't even, uh, actually, uh, Bednarsh, uh, who interviewed you, I didn't even want to bring him back when we first talked to him. He didn't do well on the hiring committee call. He obviously had an agenda, and instead of answering the questions I asked, he kept pivoting to the things he wanted to talk about. I thought that was a bad sign. I can now say that I was embarrassingly wrong. He was trying to share his vision, and I didn't get it. What was your vision in that interview? Um, to bring YU to the program that it is today? The interview process was actually a pretty wild story. I mean, I, I was sitting in my former job in my office and it was a, it was the, the initial interview was on the phone and it was a conference call, um, not a video, but just a regular conference call. I think with like 13 or 14 committee <laughs> members on it. And I'm like hiding in my office, trying not to, with the door closed, trying not to have people outside hear me interviewing <laughs> for this job. And um, so I was kind of like a little bit quiet and trying to hit certain points that I wanted to hit in terms of how to build, you know, how I, how I envisioned building the program and competing. Um, and it just didn't feel right or go well. And, and I just wasn't able to kind of express myself. Somehow I ended up on campus um, and, and, and kind of I think the energy was able to come out a little bit more on campus. And I came and prepared. I had a, you know, I had a whole little booklet with my philosophies on, on coaching, my philosophies on recruiting, my philosophies on academics. Uh, which I handed out to the committee and then kind of, you know, presented. And it was a little bit more, uh, a little bit more in my realm, I think, and, and, and better. But in terms of what I was trying to, to sell to them, and, and I don't think they, um, I don't think anybody really bought it at the time. Uh, I, I went in probably overconfident, you know, thinking mm -hmm. that I could recruit at a higher level, that we could be bringing in, you know, players who, I, I, I basically went in there with the idea that we could be competing for, for players with Division One schools. Um, and, and because of that, I felt that, you know, we were only a couple of years away from winning the conference for the first time and, and obviously starting to compete nationally. Uh, you know, most of that got laughs and, you know, that's really nice. But, uh, you know, we, we were able to get the right guys in here and do it. So it's worked out. So what what does recruiting look like? Obviously, you have a smaller pool because you're going to take a guy that is interested in at least some Torah. I know you mentioned in some interviews that you do have a diverse religi uh, religious background, whether there are, I don't want to say secular, but some people that are, you know, not necessarily, uh, let's say, chachamim are going to be rabbis. Um, how do you blend those pieces together? 
So we, we definitely have wide diversity. And I, and I mean, like we've had, we've had rabbinic students, as I've mentioned before, and, and we have, you know, we've guys with tattoos and earrings. So, you know, we have guys from very, very different worlds and, you know, we, they're, they're all family and we treat them all the same way. And they're all thankfully really, really happy to be at Yeshiva. Um, but recruiting, you know, I, I, it was one of the things I talked about at the interview. You can look at it as a, uh, you can look at it as a disadvantage if you'd like to, because mm-hmm. it's, like you said, it's a little bit of a smaller pool. I also look at it as an advantage. I think we have an advantage on the guys that we're targeting, right? If we're, if we're looking at certain guys from a certain background, from certain schools, um, and it's, you know, we're, we're bringing similar guys in, we, we have a little bit more of an opportunity to kind of recruit in groups um, and, and to bring guys who kind of want to be in the same place. Um, some of them know each other previously, and, and it makes it even easier. Uh, so so I, I, I've always chosen to look at it as a, as a major advantage from a recruiting standpoint. Um, and, you know, I think especially now with the exposure we've gotten and, and the Ryan Terrell story, um, yeah. you know, people are seeing exactly what's going on and, and seeing that, you know, at the Division three level, um, you know, that we're able to kind of put our guys in a, in a limelight that most schools at the Division one level can't. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's in a big way changing the, the type of player and the background of players that, that now want to come to Yeshiva. Is there another Ryan Terrell coming up the Yeshiva track that uh, you see right now? Every, every year, every year, there's a player that everyone has to say, oh, what are we going to do when that guy leaves? My first, uh-huh. year, my first year, I was lucky enough to coach Benji Ritholtz, who's one of the best players I've ever coached. I actually was his coach in high school and, and the last oh, year, nice. his last year in college. He was awesome. Thousand point scorer, first team all conference, the whole deal. And I remember after that year, everyone was like, well, you had Benji your first year and everything went well. What's going to happen when he graduates? And then we had a kid, Shelby Rosenberg, and, a, and another guy, Mike Berg, and and they were great, and we started winning, and we went to the playoffs, and we had a home playoff game, and we won the playoff game, the first time in school history to win a home playoff game. And everyone's like, what's going to happen when those guys leave? <laughs> and then Simcha Halpert comes in with Donnie Katz. And everyone, what's going to happen when they leave? And then Gabe Leifer and Ryan Terrell show up. So, yes. you know, it, 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 there's, there's always another player out there. I wouldn't say there's mm-hmm. another Ryan Terrell, but there'll be another player. We have, we have some really good players coming in this year that are freshmen. Uh, we have some really good players back. Um, you know, we're working on our 2023 class now, and uh, I think there's exciting things ahead. I think we're going to keep growing and keep getting better. So I want to ask two off-the-court questions that deal with more universal issues. The first are race relations and how sports can really help on them. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be speaking to the Big Ten Commissioner, Kevin Warren. I'm speaking to him because on Twitter, I found Adam Newman, a YU grad who's uh, chief of staff of the Big Ten, and he wrote you a letter during this run, Kevin Warren, the yep. former CEO of the Vikings, Minnesota Vikings NFL, and now Big Ten Commissioner. And he explained his deep connection to the Jewish people, I believe, through his father, who was um, a soldier in America. And he taught him about the Holocaust living in Phoenix, Arizona. And he writes this letter also with the Will family, and it's the Will family campus at YU, and the Will family owns the Minnesota Vikings. How does a story like that then take this small Jewish campus of 2,600 students and really bring different faiths and races together through the story of basketball. Yeah, it's it's inspiring stuff. I, I you know Adam's become a good friend over the years, and and you know he's doing amazing things, and I think he's so well positioned in that world to kind of be a bridge. Um, you know, and you know it's funny. Uh, you may have noticed Mike Sweetney is not Jewish. Um, so the two of us actually have this conversation all the time and, and uh-huh. you know, talk about, you know, the, the potential that even just the two of us have in our yes. different communities to, to help bridge relationships and, and, you know, like you said, work on, on, uh, on race relationships. And, you know, it's, it's something that I think that, you know, Commissioner Warren's letter really, I, I hope, 
is a starting point for something bigger at some point. Um, but yeah, I think we, I think we're in a good spot to be able to, to really be able to push on that. And then I think it's something that unfortunately our world needs more than anything right yes. now. Yes. Actually, I'm just going to commit to it right now. I would be happy to be part of that conversation. We here at Sinai Temple, Great. we have three gyms in our, uh, shul, uh, next Monday, we begin our Sinai Temple basketball camp for our seventh year. And we are now partnering with Faithful Central Bible Church in Inglewood and um, offering scholarships to those young people to have that experience together um, through the court in a faith environment where we have common values um, and common values with different beliefs. And so then take us then to a little family story, which uh, is not a secret. It's it's awesome. Your son, Jacob, who was uh, drafted by, I believe, uh, um, the... Cardinals, Diamond, or sorry, Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks thank you, yeah. in Arizona. Um, one of the first now Orthodox kids to be drafted into the major leagues. Um, was that all you? Was that him going his way? What was that path now to this young Orthodox kid playing in the major leagues? It was it was zero percent me. Uh, I, <laughs> I I actually think that you know when you when you look at professionals and if you get a chance to see what they looked like as a kid growing up and how they approached. Um, you know, different things, whether it's sports or whether it's school or, or, or anything, there's, there's, I don't mean it in a bad way. There's like something off, like you have to be a little bit crazy to, mm -hmm. to, you know, take things that seriously as a kid. And, you know, I see it obviously with Ryan Terrell and I, I saw it in, I, you know, I've seen it in my own son. Um, so, you know, there, there's a different level of work ethic. You know, I remember even when, when my son Jacob was playing basketball when he was younger, um, and he was, I don't, know, I don't know, he was five or six or whatever it was. And he was outside in the backyard and he was trying to learn how to take lefty layups. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, so we, we worked on the footwork and I showed him what to do. And I was like, okay, you know, we can work on it more tomorrow. He's like, nope, stay outside right. for two hours by himself until he got it down. And I wasn't even like, I went inside. He stayed outside cause he was, you know, he was into it. And even, you know, once, once he started to really take the baseball more seriously and certainly when he started driving, he, you know. Found uh, he had a pitching coach that he works with, and he would drive out there every single day, even if he wasn't throwing, just to be there and be around it, and to work out, and to talk baseball, and to learn. And there's just a different level of commitment to something like that if you're becoming a professional. And you know, Ryan's the same way, which is why he's kind of on that path. And I think I'm just kind of lucky to uh, be a little bit of a common denominator in both of their lives. That's you know, I guess been a little bit of a a vehicle that they could you know they could use or, or, or guidance, I guess, in certain ways, but both those kids, they've put in work on their own. That is nothing I could have ever done to put them on the level that they're on. But your son did not go to Yeshiva University to play baseball, but rather he's drafted. So here he is now taking that religious realm out. And I believe either walking to the games on Shabbat or finding mm -hmm. kosher food. How has he dealt with that in his first year of baseball and I was watching an interview uh, last night about him how he's saying you know in my high school team we sort of or go on the road and then we do our games and we have our lives but now you form this new family what has he either taught his teammates or what has he learned from the outside world um, on that journey yeah I think I mean like he's a kid he's 18 obviously so he's got you know a long way to go in terms of learning about life but I think he's learning it a lot faster than a lot of kids his age do you know he's, mm -hmm. he's actually working a job and has responsibilities and places to be and you know, he at the same time has this, you know, these religious restrictions and obligations that he has to fulfill and that are important to him. And, you know, it means he has to have very mature conversations with, you know, management and say, hey, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. This is what I need. Um, you know, throughout the draft process, he was very, very candid and open with every team that he interviewed with. 
um, regarding what the, you know, what the obligations were and what he was able to do. And, you know, it was actually written up in an article um, on, uh, I think, MLB.com. Um, that one of the most impressive things people found about him in the interview process at the at the um, draft combine uh, was his kind of openness and his you know the, the way he was prepared with a plan on how to handle each aspect of, of the religious you know obligations and and, and commitments. Um, so he's you know he's kind of taken it that way, and the the team I have to say has been unbelievable. Like they're they're just so supportive of him they they have taken on the responsibility of ordering him kosher food from a kosher restaurant um a few times a week to make sure that he has the meals he needs because they provide meals for the players um you know they've they've given him off for for you know certain yom Tobin where he needs to be you know for the sadarm for example or or for you know for rosh hashanah and yom kippur um obviously and you know shabbat he makes work and they work with him if he has a you know they they will not make him travel at all on shabbat Wow. Um, in fact, right now they're not even having him throw on Shabbat. So they're, wow. they're really, yeah, they, they've been really, really understanding and really good to him. And he, in turn, works hard and is trying to, you know, live up to what, you know, the investment they made in him. Is there a base medrash in the clubhouse or only a locker room? <laughs> he, his, his base medrash is, I think, Zoom learning with my brother. <laughs> oh, beautiful. But the learning continues. It does. Um, no, that, that, that's amazing. I actually want to talk about the Israeli baseball team and then the Israeli basketball team perhaps for the uh, Olympics because for this Israeli baseball team so new to the country six teams get in the Olympics most of the guys are actually living out here in Southern California they learn about Israel through that experience and now they're unbelievable ambassadors people like Ty Kelly, Zach Pembrace, yep. all those guys. Do you perhaps see something like the basketball Israeli national team sort of getting infiltration maybe of guys like Terrell etc that then compete at a higher level than perhaps what Israeli's national team is doing right now? Yeah, I think it's I think it's certainly possible down the road. I mean, you got to start somewhere, and I think you know the baseball team has. I mean, what they've done over the last bunch of years. I, I don't know anybody who doesn't follow them. You know, in, uh-huh. in the states here to watch them and root for them and, and show up at their games when they're playing in Brooklyn for you know uh, pre you know pre tournament games and stuff like that. It's um, it's been awesome, and yeah, if that can carry over at some point to the uh, to the basketball world, I think it'd be great. I think also as I think as more Jewish athletes go to play professionally over there, mm-hmm. um, that'll help build it as well. Um, yeah. But you're right. It's, it's kind of got that like Maccabea effect in terms of, you know, these guys get that experience and, and, and exposure to Israel through a sport. So you named it the Maccabea. I believe you coached in 2013 in Australia, if that was correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what you had to say about the influence in, uh, that in Israel, I think I was in Israel. Yeah. Yeah. The, this is what you had to say about, coaching guys who perhaps weren't so religious, but we're getting that Israel experience for the first time. And we'll talk about that. Pacific, um, when we went to the, to the Western wall um, on that trip. And I remember seeing, you know, Mike, Mikey Greenman and, and a couple of those guys were writing, you know, they, they, they stopped at the Southern wall to write the notes that we could put into the, uh, into the wall when we got there and seeing some of these guys sitting down and writing like pages of notes that they wanted to put into the wall. And I wasn't even filling out a paper because I, I did it a million times. I didn't need to do it. And, and here you have these, you know, these kids are experiencing it for the first time and they're pouring their hearts into it. And they're, you know, they're, they're writing these, you know, notes that are really coming from inside um, and it mattered to them. And, and, and I remember, um, I you know, hope I don't embarrass him, but I remember, you know, Mikey Greenman afterwards coming over to me. And, and I remember we sat on the bus going to the, to the old city. And I said to the guys, you know, I, I know you're all cool, you know, high school kids and you're, and you're athletes and you're too cool for everything, but I'm telling you in advance, there's, you know, don't wear a shirt that has 
like curse words on it. Don't wear something that's disrespectful. You'll feel that like difference when you go there and you see it for the first time. You'll feel a difference even if you don't expect to. So take us through that when you have kids who are not playing in religious institutions who maybe have very little affiliation with Judaism or even Israel. They're basically coming for basketball and you say, no, this is what it's about. It's the Kotel experience. One of the most moving experiences of my entire life was watching other guys experience Israel for the first time. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was watching, like I mentioned, Mikey Greenman, and it was Spencer Weiss who plays uh, in Israel now in the first, in the first division, um, who I remember we were standing on the top of Masada and he was just looking out and he was reading everything. And he's just a very introspective, smart kid. Um, and he, he put his arm around me and he's like, coach, telling you right now an 18 year old kid he just finished high school he was going to play in princeton for the next four years he's like i'm going to go to princeton i'm going to play four years i'm going to graduate and i'm going to come back here and play here i got i got to live here and i got to experience it and he and he did it and it's like you know four years in in college didn't you know didn't kind of ruin that for him and i think watching those guys experience israel and you know we're so spoiled by it you know people mm -hmm. who have been there many times or if you grow up with a certain background where you're learning about it constantly you're spoiled by it. You don't appreciate it. You go to the hotel and it's like, yeah, I'm at the hotel again, you know, and, and these guys are seeing it for the first time and literally like living, breathing and feeling their own history in a way that I don't ever remember experiencing. And I got to watch them experience it. And it kind of just, it was so moving and it really, it, it changed my whole perspective on, on trips like that in, in a very, very big way. So, I, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of what they do and, and the, you know, and the, and the touring and, and everything that Maccabi, you know, Maccabi USA puts together. So I want to push you on that for a moment to help because we're in living in a world where American Jews, according to Pew studies, are less and less connected to the land of Israel. And sometimes, God forbid, even not so pro-Israel. How is sports, as you saw it, right? Now we're talking YU. Now we're talking Kevin Warren and the Big Ten getting on board. Now we're talking black and white. Now we're talking Jews finally experiencing Israel through basketball. What's our responsibility then to come back when we leave the court? to not, not have our stories in our hearts, but to share them? I mean, I think it's, I think it's important, obviously, to talk about it, and, and, and especially in sports where you have the ability to kind of shift over to mainstream from just kind of the school you're in or the, or the background you're from, um, and you have the ability to affect people on a mainstream level. You know, it's important. I think it's important on social media to use a platform if you have it to, you know, speak up and make sure the truth is out there as best you can. I mean, we we all know lies spread a lot faster than truth and and, and Twitter and Instagram are full of lies, um, you know, but it's important to do the best you can to combat it. And, and, I, and I think, you know, uh, even even more so you look at look at what Bruce Pearl is doing at um, at Auburn University. Right. It's coming at, on the show. Yeah. Country. Oh, you're going to have mine. That's great. Ask yeah. him about the trip he's taking. This, Absolutely. Uh, this coming so, August, University of Auburn. To Israel. Yeah, he invited uh -huh. us to come with them. I, you know, I don't think oh, he'll wow. out for us. Yeah, he's 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 an unbelievable person, Bruce. He's really just a, a very, very special special. And person. his poor and press conference in the Unreal. NCAA tournament with Ukraine yeah. saying that he is Mordechai. I mean, that is Correct. that is about as authentic as you get. Yeah. 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 I spoke with him about that afterwards and, and, and I told him, you know, I wanted him to know the impact he had mm -hmm. in the, in, you know, not just the, not just the Jewish community, but, but literally the world community at large mm -hmm. and, and the amount of people that are watching him and, and seeing what he does. And he's just, he's, he's a real leader. So I spoke with Sherry Levin a couple of weeks ago. She's a women's coach for the, uh, for the Maccabea team, but she also is a hall of famer at Holy Cross and 
she, I don't know if you know her story, but they dedicated the locker room to her and they put up a mezuzah saying, will your rabbi come? And she talks about coaching often people who are not Jewish, but using words of wisdom and uh, Gemara, if you wish, and in, inspiration from the Hanukkah story. Um, actually, she told a beautiful drash about the Shamash, how each player is the Shamas. Um, your guys know their Gemara. You guys know your Parsha and your Parsha Nut. Um, do you bring Torah in the locker room? Do you bring Torah in the huddles? What does that look like? Or you say, you know what, that's separate. You're going to get your learning based medrash and you're here to play basketball. So it was not something that we did in the beginning. Um, you know, I, you never, you know, obviously as a coach, you, you, when you're trying to inspire, you draw from different things and there's no doubt there's, you know, certainly biblical stories that we've drawn from in the past. Um, you know, but it's not necessarily something that we've focused on or pushed, but about, Five or six years ago, we had a an assistant coach, um, Daniel Tamir, really, really good guy. Lives I know actually, him very well from the guys, Valley. Yep. Correct. Lives yeah. out in L.A. now. And, yeah, he um, does the Musser. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's what happened. He, he asked me for permission for two minutes after our pregame you know, meeting in the locker room, for two minutes, optional for any of the guys who wanted to have a two-minute little Musser schmooze. Um, and that's kind of kept up even after he moved away. We have you know one player every year who's responsible for doing it and optional. Most of our players choose to stay. And they do a little two-minute, a uh, little quick, uh, either the Torah or Musar Shmooze or some kind of inspiring, you know, uh, theme from the Torah. And it's, uh, I think, become, yeah, I like it. It's something, again, like I said, I'm very big on what makes us different and, and, you know, being unique in the right way. And I think that's part of it. And then we should tell Joe Lenardi and Jay Billis on their shows that one of those episodes should literally be Musar Shmooze. I think it would change college basketball in the right way. It'll deal with NIL, deal with Transfer Portal, and we'll be right. in good shape. <laughs> change the um, world. Absolutely. So uh, final question, why are you coming up this year? Um, what, what, what to expect and uh, how can we as ambassadors to you help spread the message of what you're doing on and off the court? I mean, I think you're doing it. I think by, by doing what you do and, and kind of, uh, you know, bringing out that context of sports and religion, I think it's, I think it's awesome. And I think it's something that people need to, to see more of, um, you know, for us, I think, I think we're going to have a really good year. I'm excited. We have a a tremendous schedule. Our schedule is probably the toughest schedule we've ever had. I'm really excited mm-hmm. about it. We're playing some really good teams. Um, and we have some really good young players coming in. You know, we have some really good players coming back who I think will be good leaders and, and, and will kind of improve on where they were the last couple of years. And then we have some, I think, real studs coming in. And it's going to be a nice mix of, uh, of kind of young and, and older players who are going to you know, learn to learn to kind of grow together as, as the season goes on. But I, you know, I, I expect to be in the same place at the end of the year, but hopefully with, a, you know, with another W. Oh, man. We are uh, excited to follow the journeys of Coach Elliot Steinmetz, Yeshiva University. We are thrilled that you joined us, and we hope that if uh, YU has a trip out west, we uh, get to host you here at the shul as well and in the community. Coach Elliot Steinmetz, Yeshiva University basketball, 50-game win streak, the longest one in Division One over these last couple of years. Thank you for joining us and Rabbi on the sidelines. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Thank you.